Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach Podcast. You're on once again with Cheezo. Thanks to everyone for riding along with us this season. It's been our biggest yet. And uh, we've got some big plans, big plans in store for 2020. But firstly, there are a few things that we forgot to cover during our first off-season podcast. It, it, it's, guys, it's been a month. Um, you can't expect us to remember the exact format that we have, so we completely forgot all the important things. <laughs> so I'd just like to welcome Jake Hutch to the uh, Slack community as our newest member. Uh, Jake's taking advantage of our, our sign-up for one month and get three free promo um, as we're giving October, November, and December December free for all current patrons who sign up uh, or are active patrons in the, the month of September. So if you feel like getting amongst some FPL and some BBL fantasy, maybe some NBA, NFL, that kind of stuff, feel free to uh, jump on in. It's only three bucks and you get four months out of it, which uh, isn't a terrible deal. Uh, I, I guess it, it depends how much you value me talking smack. Uh, maybe three dollars is overs for that. So <laughs> maybe you enjoy talking to Pistol instead. <laughs> the biggest uh, milestone that I do need to cover just before we uh, we jump into the podcast is the Dr. Supercoach community has passed $10,000 raised for the Cancer Council, which is just, it, it, it literally blows my mind that uh, Supercoach can raise this sort of money for cancer research. And we currently sit at $10,108.85 um, in total, which is just phenomenal. I'm, I'm continually surprised by how generous people are and you know how willing they are to embrace the donate for donuts or donate for dumb things and join in with the fun. So Thank you for everyone that has uh, has jumped on board and donated. And we do have a few that do need to be uh, read out that were missed uh, in between the end of, you know, the beginning of round 23 and, and now. So uh, Liam G donating for another Adam Trelaw subtun. Liam, when are you going to learn? It, it's, at, it's Adam Trelaw. Um, I think we should go with a different Donate for Donuts next year, Liam, because I, I really feel like you're going to be paying a little bit more next year. Uh, Chizo up next. Uh I had a bet with JB. JB said in the preseason, he was a little bit outlandish. He said, Zach Williams is going to average 105. And I feel like the 19-game non-injury affected average of 104 completes this bet. I'm ha- I was happy to pay up. And, you know, JB's uh, he's not finishing in the top 200 by accident. So, great year, JB. Congratulations. Michael Gunner donating... Thanks, JB. I shouted JB into our cash comp this year, and he offered to donate all the winnings. He won the minor premiership but couldn't land the flag. Offer open again next year. We all love playing against a podcaster, and Fighting Cancer is the winner. Gunner, you're a fantastic supporter of the podcast, and uh, thank you for for donating. And um, Up next is Anthony Gerlinger. Hey, guys, just want to say thank you. Uh, a bit of a thank you donation for creating such a great community. And AG is part of the Slack channel. He's a, he's a, a great guy. And then he brought our total for um, every time we, we reset um, our – the first two years we reset our our um, donations for some reason. And this, this third time we've gone around, it's just uh, continually ticking over. So he rounded us up to $7,000 in our most recent – um, uh, everyday hero page that we have with the Cancer Council and Webdog just to just to tip JB's OCD over the edge donated a dollar twenty seven just to annoy JB with his uh, OCD which I, I pay that that's a, that's a, a bloody good prank Webdog and I love you for it uh, okay community um, let's kick this episode off I hope you enjoy the podcast in which we you know can listen back to this in a few months time and pick up on all the things that we may forget over the summer and you know maybe help us formulate a better starting team for next year. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another Dr. Supercoach podcast. This is the yearly review for the year 2019 that has just passed us by. I have with me the two very highly coveted, esteemed guests of Firstly, Pistol. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks, JB. 
That's good. And secondly, <laughs> wait, am I included in the the, the esteemed guests? No, well, we had someone else supposed to be here. I was gonna I was gonna say secondly myself, JB, and then <laughs> also Cheezer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, I'm also here. Welcome, Cheezer. How are you? Oh, good, mate. It's uh, I I've just been on um, just a, a basically a blanket rule of no sport but the Ashes since the end of the 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 footy season. So it, it's been quite cleansing to get. Uh, all the bad umpiring that Essendon suffered this year, just to get that out of my system, it's been great. So when did the season end for you? Was it after the first final? or <laughs> no, It kind of ended about going. after the first bye week when I completely ruined my <laughs> side. So I, I've been on a, quite a long cleanse, probably a longer <laughs> cleanse than you'd expect in some sort of like foreign temple on top of a mountain, but that's basically where I've been. Oh, okay. Well, it's good to have you back for the podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so essentially we've got the first three main podcasts of the year. I think people do enjoy these because they get to listen to Chizo, Pistol, and unfortunately myself all at the same time. <laughs> um, so essentially we're going to just pretty much go off the cuff here. I haven't really given you guys much to go on as to what this podcast will be completely about. Firstly, I just want to know about lessons learned. So we'll start off with you, Pistol. Um, from essentially your first team through to all your 30 trades and into the last week of the season, what do you think are your biggest takeaways from the season that you cannot be doing next season or should be doing next season? I think something that I did quite poorly uh, at the beginning of this season was I had a very safe team to start um, the preseason, and as we got closer and closer to game one, I just started tinkering a little bit. I talked myself into a, a couple of high-risk, high-reward picks, and I think nearly every single ch- ch- like change I made after the JLT, so like um, in that final week or two weeks, every single thing I did was bad. So uh, for me, it would be more like stick to your guns that you've got and don't do these last-minute tinkers unless there's like an injury or, or something like that. Um, and that also leads into, with my player choices in particular, I'm happy to play it safer. Um, I know that sounds, I guess, strange, but I had so many unnecessary punts in my side. Like I, I was, I talked myself and probably um, a couple other people into starting Angus Brayshaw. And, you know, uh, if you say hindsight's twenty twenty, but it, it just wasn't a safe pick uh, to start the year. And I was trying to say that 100K on Oliver, and fortunately for me, Oliver also started really poorly, so it didn't look so bad. But I did have to burn a trade to get rid of Brayshaw, um, and that was one of many players that I decided to just shoehorn into my side, um, you know, basically last minute. So we seem to always go with the advice that you can't win in week one, but you can definitely lose. Um, that's definitely a, a quote from the great man Cheezer on the podcast right now. <laughs> but I think safe selections in the starting team is th- almost the biggest part of that. And I started safe, um, tinkered in some risky players, but just didn't love how it looked and then ended up finishing on a safe team. Uh, obviously ranked decently this year. So, um, yeah, I, I just feel like the risky players, even if they do start well and, and make 20, 30K straight off the bat, they, they're not going to suddenly rock it up to 650k and be unattainable like we can always get them later on in the season um and you know it's probably good to look at these risky players and think okay he's the one that i'm going to be watching in the first few rounds rather than you know i rely on this guy to have my ranking good or bad in the first month sort of thing so um definitely a good takeaway there good lesson learned so chizo what was your probably biggest takeaway from the season the biggest takeaway for me is that I have legitimately no ability to make a successful trade. So <laughs> oh, no. the, the highest overall rank that I had in season 2019 was before I made a trade. And then if you look at the graph, oh, no. that as the amount of trades increased, the overall rank also increased. And by that, I mean more decimals. Um, uh I I I think when I'm looking back at my trades that I'm looking through in my history, there's just so many things that I think within that seven day period made sense. But when you look at the grand scheme of things, that you have to have this player for twelve, fifteen weeks. Just I was trading people in and out and all over the place. So do you have a good example um, for this so people can like? Well, we can look back on this next season and sort of tap ourselves and say, no, well, this didn't work last year. Well, I was tempted this year. I've mentioned a few times um, what it would be like trying to do premium swaps during the middle part of the season. So uh, I had the expectation that Fife 
uh, in, after being KO'd in round three would miss um, maybe two weeks. And then mm-hmm. maybe two weeks after that would take uh, for him to get back to his best. So I was yep. expecting about a month. A bit of a price drop would be able to um, get him for cheap when I, I eventually got him back in. It turns out I got him for $7,900 cheaper four rounds later when I expected to get him. But he came back out the next week and scored like 150, and I couldn't have been more wrong. And so yep. I was interested in taking the punt this year in um, swapping a couple of these premiums uh, after they did cop an injury. But not only did it very, very quickly make me run out of trades, and so I had to, when I did have, say, Josh Kelly at the back end of the year and I really needed to get rid of the prick, I couldn't because <laughs> I've been doing all these, I was doing all these like luxury trades really early. Um, yeah. So I think, as opposed to, like, my starting team wasn't great, but um, had me inside the top 500 in the first fortnight. But as I tried to progress around, I kept a lot of those risky, riskier players in there and tried to do a lot of premium swaps and um, just didn't nail my rookies. So there was, there was definitely a lot, of, a lot of things. But I, I definitely think that trading for me this year was the biggest downfall because I actually started pretty well with my initial side. Yeah, and you just mentioned then prioritizing your premiums out and even Fife who, you know, a lot of people were saying would miss a week and there are a lot of statistics around how players typically came back from concussions as well and, like, they they tend to score lower for a couple of weeks until they get back on their feet. Um, Like, you could justify the move at the time, but at the same time, you probably had two or three rookies who, um, either like, you'd missed out on a couple or... Um, at that point, Toby Green was missing games as well, and I don't know if you got rid of him early. And like there, there were other things happening. So in terms of like the grand scheme of things, priority-wise, um, it looks like you, you chose to take Fife out instead of fixing one of the other little problems. Whereas um, early in the season, I didn't start with Fife, but I think Toby Green to Connor Rosie was one of my first trades, and um, it gained me a lot of money. Toby Green ended up missing a few weeks, and Rosie scored, I think, 120 that week. So... Uh, like even without a big score that week, it's still to get that cash generation and get rid of the player that was consistently injury prone, and go for one of the rookies that I've missed out on. Instead of getting rid of a premium, it just early days. I think that's very pivotal. And so, pretty much what you said, I think, is a good lesson to be taking into any season. So, um, for myself, one of the biggest takeaways was trading in rookies, and this is. We say it's one of the biggest rules in Supercoach to, and one of the biggest rookie errors that you can do is getting in a player that before they've even played their first game, let alone played their second or are on the bubble. Um, and I did that a few times this year, and that player, for example, Ryden Gardner, who played his first game and didn't go on from there, actually might have got a second game, I don't know. But regardless, he was still at the 102k price for weeks and weeks after and he he finished in my team I couldn't get rid of him you can't waste a trade on somebody who's 102k that limited my cash generation limited my players on the bench my emergencies did the same with uh, Joe Attlee for Port Adelaide he didn't get a game after his first one did the same thing time and time again Uh, I think he was the St Kilda player Robbie Young did the same thing with him and although it didn't hamper me this season as much as it as it should have I think we were very lucky with injuries late on and I should have been punished heavily for those trades so it's just the trading in of rookies I don't know why I tend to do it year in year but it never ever works and should never ever be done so we're going to keep rolling with this uh, lessons learned from the season pistol what was another one that you, that you learned from the season I just did want to say uh, with your examples of like Gardner and I'm sure you trade in Robbie Young as well um, a lot of the time there weren't other rookie options though so you kind of you desperately needed to make an upgrade and they were the only rookie that presented themselves so uh, it sounds I guess, worse when we're talking about it in hindsight. But yeah. at the actual time, there weren't any other options. So are you suggesting that you just don't make an upgrade that week and you just hold you know, hold your ground? Because you know, if, if you had a Marty Hoare or something that was plummeting in price, uh, sometimes you need to just take a punt on those rookies that have played one or two games to upgrade uh, someone that is plummeting in price um, before they lose all the, all the money that they've made. So I don't think it's as you know, straightforward as kind of what you suggested. I think you're being a little bit too harsh on yourself, JB. Yeah. Um, so some some. I mean, examples... he finished in the top 200. He can't be that hard on himself, can he? <laughs> <laughs> so some of the examples, yeah, there were only a couple of rookies available for the week and it just it came to a point where you just had to jump early unless you wanted to lose price. But maybe losing 20K or something like that isn't 
as bad as having someone like Robbie Young sit on your bench for the whole entire end of the season. Like, I think I had Kyle Dunkley. Dunkley, he was luckily in in the last couple of rounds as my only bench cover for the, the like, latter end of the season. So that's bad. <laughs> I had Garner as well, Joel Garner from Port Adelaide on my bench who just did not have the job security. So I suppose in some instances, yes, I, my hand was probably forced, but definitely not in every instance. I definitely chose to go for some players early because they look good or they scored well in the first week and um, and then obviously as it bit me later on. But maybe taking the 20K here or you know missing a premium for an extra week even though they've got a good opposition coming up or whatever it may have been that forced me to make that quick trade just like to maximize points or money or whatever it was maybe it's worth having cover on your bench later on in the season yeah and just to to emphasize that um the best way that i can describe it is um there's a term that i think you'd be familiar with pistol is loss aversion it's where we uh tend to to feel the effects of losses more than gains um and so you researchers suggested that people tend to feel losses um, twice as much uh, as similar gains. So the way that it kind of affected me is I was seeing someone like a Marty Hoare dropping like 20K, and that was like, as you say, that was fire. You know, the, the whole building was burning down for me. And so I was I, I was prepared to jump on someone like um, a Robbie Young or a, a Ryan Gardner just to prevent that from happening. And I think it's really good hindsight that they may have been available that week, um, but in reality were they a good choice to um, to make this upgrade-downgrade combination or should we have just sat there and just copped the 20K, let that low score um, you know, revert out of their cycle and see their price recover? Um, I think that kind of typifies the discussion we're kind of having and I suffered that a lot more than I'd like to admit to this year, but it, it's very apparent through the trading that I had. And JB as well, um, this was actually pretty funny because I was talking about it with uh, people throughout the season because a lot of the time we do um, say on the podcast, like, if you can't afford this top-line primo, you know, these are other cheaper options. But I was keeping track of your team throughout the whole season and I'm pretty sure you never ran into a situation where you couldn't afford the person that you want to get in. Like, you seem to be trading in top six players um, based on average across every line at every upgrade, like you never really had to, you never had to look at any cheaper option to like complete your team. You always were getting the best of the best throughout the entire season. So money, even though this seemed to be a year where it was hard to generate that cash, you never seemed to run into any issues. Yeah. So are you are you supporting the argument of which uh, the twenty k loss might not have been as bad or? The fact that my cash generation limitations due to Gardner and that on my bench weren't as bad. I think it's a bit of both. It's more that like that 20k loss for you wouldn't have probably impacted your side at all because you're still able to finish it by getting basically the top primos in every line. Yeah. And that that 20k wouldn't have made you know a massive difference to you. Well, I reckon there's there's two things to that. Sorry to butt in, JB. I reckon it's because you nailed a few more rookies than someone like I did because I was definitely struggling for cash towards the end of the year. And the other thing that differed between your trading and my trading is you, I I would say, hyper-aggressive in comparison to me. So when there was the the chance to... um, This is an example. I can't remember your team off the top of my heart, but um, when Boak was going well early, I was sitting back going... um, you know, sticking to my gun saying that this is just an aberration. It's not, um, yep. you know, I was backing myself in. I wasn't taking in new data and saying this is a completely new role and this is something that if it continues is going to be an absolutely essential thing to our team. You were seeing that and going, you know, straight away, I didn't expect this to happen. I'm getting on. This is a train that you need to get on early because if you miss it, I think I picked up Boke in like round 13. Now, that's too late. Yeah, it's yeah. way too late. I was I was definitely very passive when it came to the first... I was doing one trade a week here and there. Um, and it just stunted my growth because if I, I, I didn't pick up Sydney Stack or someone like that, that I did that was one of the best cash cows of the season that I just completely missed. Um, so I think it's a, a combination for you is that you had the cash um, that it didn't matter so much because you did pick up the better rookies and you're also really aggressive on... Uh, you know, picking up the trends that were um, much more accurate than, say, I did because I was kind of sitting on my hands going, like, just ignoring the fact that, you know, Boca or Ryan Marshall was doing that. You know, it's going to revert. It's not real. And then if you're wrong, you're really wrong. Yeah. 
So, I mean, one of my, my one of my other lessons learned, I'll take pistol spot here um, and flick to him in a second, but uh, the next one I was going to discuss when it came back around to me was sort of on topic with what you're saying there, Chizo, and I was sort of looking at players like Boak, uh, like Dunkley, who I wanted to get earlier than what I did end up getting. <laughs> um, yeah, laugh now, pistol, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> and play, players like that who... I looked at and said, if he scores well, he's going to score 130. And if I miss out on that, then every single person who owns him is just going to jump me. Like They're going to score higher than me for that week. So I looked at all the players with the really high ceilings and um, oh, geez, I could name a dozen of them. Like Bontempelli has a, had a really high season, a high ceiling who I jumped on. Boak was obviously one of them. Dunkley ended up being one of them as well. Um, those players, Whitfield as well, that's why I, I just saw him as an essential player to get in, no matter where he was coming back from injury. Those sorts of players that could burn you on the other end, like Ron Marshall I ended up getting as well, um, they're the players that I want in my team because like they they could just literally make or break your year, but all of them were pretty much going at like a, a floor of you know 80s maybe. like It wasn't like a... Buddy Franklin, where it was 30 or 160, these players were getting 80 and then 130, but if they string together a, a good set of games, then they were just going to de- demolish teams. And you saw it later on in the season, players who didn't get in Dunkley and who couldn't afford Dunkley, they just they did not rank anywhere near as high as what the players who ended up getting him early were. Or same with Royal Marshall, he was getting 130 every single, every single week in the end. And if you didn't get on him, you, you missed out and you just ended up falling every single week even if all your players kind of did perform they just weren't getting the 130s that these higher scoring players were getting so Pistol what was your next lesson or do you want to sort of expand on that yeah I'll expand on that I think what's interesting with Supercoach and AFL in general is that there's not actually that many games throughout the season especially when you're upgrading um, in Supercoach you're doing it around the buy or before the buy so the sample size that we have is actually so small that it's really hard to be able to make decisions and say hold on is this just um, you know a fluke is it a once-off or is this an actual something that's going to continue moving forward and I think for someone like myself um, I like to see more data than probably uh, Supercoach I guess, or the AFL season allows us in that I would like to wait a couple of weeks. But if you wait a couple of weeks in the Supercoach, you're missing out on possibly someone rising 100K and improving their average, you know, astronomically. And a good example of that was after one game, one good game of Dunkley um, scoring super well and playing in the midfield, you were, you were like, I, I'm going to trade in Dunkley this league. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, he's had one good game. We don't know he could revert back to his old position, and you were you were set. You're like, I am getting Dunkley. I'm like, hold on, let me like bargain with you and reason that we've seen Caleb Daniel play um, a role off the back line for you know seven weeks already. So having seven weeks of data versus one week of data, that that seems safer. And then you end up going with uh, Caleb Daniel that week instead of jumping on Dunkley Cheers. super early. Uh, yeah, sorry <laughs> about that, but. Um, <laughs> It's more trying to perhaps adapt quicker to look at, I guess, maybe my threshold for data needs to be decreased and like how long I have to wait. And I think that also pl- plugs into what Cheezer was saying earlier about Boke, where we, we like to wait a little bit too long just to confirm we're making the right choice. But by then in Supercoach, which is a game that basically only one person's really going to win. So um, sometimes you just got to go for it and Rowan Marshall was the other way around where it was you know four five six weeks in and I'm like I, I, I want to get Rowan Marshall and you guys are like well Nank, Nank failed um, or has yeah. slowed down after the bye last year and that was always in the back of my mind and I decided maybe I just will wait and I just waited until I think around 14 or 15 to, to get Marshall and by then you know I, I was going to pick him up at 380k and next thing i know i'm paying 550k for a guy that's averaged 110 until that point um and had just missed out on a whole bunch of points so this is where i think this is probably this will end up being one of the biggest lessons learned for us and all three of us are good super coach players there's you know, there's no two ways around that i know you're ultra negative on yourself Chizo, but to be ranked inside the top 500 as early as you were you you are definitely obviously a good super coach player um, but I think this is where we need to expand the way we look at things. And although there is a huge analytical aspect to Supercoach, there's also 
a big visual aspect to it as well. And when I saw Dunkley go into the midfield and Bulldogs play probably their best game for the season, I said, look, there is no way. I know their coach is crazy, but there is no <laughs> way if they plan on winning games that they don't have Dunkley in the midfield. And, and if he's in the midfield, there's no way he's not scoring you know, a hundred and just a hundred plus. Like my expectations weren't even as high as what he did, but the, and in the forward line, that was more than good enough. So uh, that that's when that week I came to you, I said, there's no way I'm not getting him because I was, uh, my thought process was from what I'd seen, that'd be insane not to have him in the midfield. And it all just added up. And obviously as the season went on and your, your argument was perfect in, in retaliation to that because Daniel was the analytical pick and, he was the player that you go for if you're playing it safe. And it, yeah, so I think that's where we need to sort of start. I need to become a little more analytical and you might need to become a little more visual in, in watching the games and thinking, well, this is their key to success. So why would they change that now? So um, the writing was sort of on the wall early for me for Dunkley. And yeah, so as I said, you can argue it was still great. But um that sort of that goes with the Royal Marshall as well. I hadn't seen many St Kilda games, so I was looking at it from an analytical perspective, as in he's going to be a Toby Nankovic. Like this is what Solo Ruckman's coming into the game do. But Marshall is a different player. He is so good around the ground, and it was obviously sustainable. And you know, if I had have watched enough of Royal Marshall, I probably would have seen with the eye test that it would have been sustainable, and I should have got him in earlier. So. My counter arguments were flawed in that I hadn't actually seen enough of St Kilda to make a good judgment. So I think that's where we can expand our skill in super coaches by adding that analytical and also visual aspect to picking our players. What do you reckon, Cheezer? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think the biggest thing that's kind of highlighted exactly, you know, shone, shone a light onto some of the weaknesses that I have in the fact that. Um, many years ago, say when I was at uni, I was watching nine or eight games a weekend, whatever it was back there. So mm-hmm. I was taking in a lot more data visually than what I do now. So um, as you kind of progress through life and you have more responsibilities and stuff like that, the times that you spend watching it, if you're going to take something from it, you need to be really paying attention. The only game, only AFL game that I've watched live in the last two years, I was on a Bucks party getting absolutely tanked. <laughs> and I'm watching maybe one, one and a half games a weekend, watching highlights, talking in Slack, getting feedback from other people rather than um, mm. visually watching Rowan Marshall and saying, this is the real deal. Yep. Or watching Boke and saying, this is the real deal. I'm sitting back here going, he's 37 years old. He's <laughs> never been any good. Why would the numbers suddenly jump this year? What mm-hmm. is the magical change? And the magical change was something that would have been plain to see had I paid attention. And that's the difference here. I think that um, making an effort in the next season to actually watch the games and if there's a, you know, you don't have to watch every game a weekend, but if there's a player like Boke or a player like Marshall that you need to formulate an opinion on, you need to actually sit back and go, don't rely on the previous data that you've got. Take a step back, fresh eyes, have a watch and say, is this something that is significantly different to what we've before? Because all that data we had on both previously or Marshall previously was a completely separate scenario. It's like comparing yep. a forward pocket to a back flanker. They exactly. don't, they're, not the, they're not the same. And so when you continuously refer back to old data, which the more data you have is great, but if it doesn't, if it's not computing, um, say with Marshall being a forward in his previous years and now he's a ruck, you can't compare that. And that's the, I think that's the biggest takeaway in you know something that I've picked up during the podcast, just from what you guys have been saying, is that you know maybe I do need to make an effort to actually sit down and say I'm going to watch the St Kilda game this week or I'm going to watch the Bulldogs game. It's this hard week watching I need, St Kilda. I need to watch defense. this. I need to know. Yeah. yeah. Spot on. Um, Pistol, did you have another lesson learnt for the season? Uh, I think they're they're probably the main ones. Um, I yep. think that's that probably covers what hopefully people wanted to hear, uh, or at least wanted that that insight. Um, I think mine differs slightly from Cheese because I, I do watch uh, pretty much every game of the round. It's just uh, I think I had to be more more fearless uh, in my transfers and 
um, yeah, uh, the, s- the sample size for me is a an issue that I will need to overcome for for next season. Okay, so we move on to the middle part of the podcast now, and that is just a little bit of reflection time on the successful starting players that we had this season, or predictions that we made earlier in the podcast. I can't really remember many of mine besides Zach Williams, obviously, but. Um, <laughs> You knew it was going to get brought up, Chizo. Well, why don't we revisit that to start with? Why don't you explain what you saw at the start of the preseason and why he was your your absolute lock? Okay, so I think it was... He played the first final. Did they go out in the first final last season? Or was there multiple finals for GWS? It's a very good question. I think, they played, I I think off the top of my head they played two finals. Off the top of my head. Okay, so... So I mostly when the thing that kept coming to mind when in the preseason when I was talking about Zach Williams was that first final he came back from the Achilles injury that he had during the season and I think he had something like eighty seven at half time. Like he just completely dominated the game and from there on the way that they structured their team and fit Zach Williams in and made him integral in their first game back in a final sort of just spoke to me that he's just one of those players that like I know he was coming off a big injury, and even this season it was a risk because an Achilles injury is massive. It's it's a really bad injury, especially for a speedy player. But he just has that talent and has that skill, and we'd seen him pushing for top six defense uh, the season before, um, before the injury in the preseason uh, last year, and uh, it just two and two together for me. And I think it, a lot of that prediction was based on visual, um, like visual the way I processed it and not a whole lot was based on analytical so maybe that's why Pistol laughed at me when I said 105 average for the season but um, he essentially did that I mean he had the injury affected 74 at half time and then uh, ended up I think averaging about 102 so if he did finish that game we never know but only missed a couple of games for the season as well so it wasn't injury prone um, and I think he ticked all the boxes I'll call that a very successful prediction and Honestly, we'll talk about this a bit later, but looking forward to 2020, I think he's going to be one of the first players picked in my back line as well. What do you reckon, Pistol? Uh, I mean, well, we can revisit that later about being one of the first big players in your back line. Um, but for me, I think I didn't actually make too many great uh, predictions in terms of um, me thinking a player will do well and they will do well. Um, I think what I kind of got right or, or what I added to the uh, pre-season podcast was knowing more about which players would do poorly or wouldn't live up to potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I was yep. very, very hot on um, trying to say that Dusty and Taranto would only go at best between 100 and 105 and Dusty ends up mm-hmm. going 100 flat and Taranto went 102. Um, and both of them were in a lot of sides to start the season and I just thought, you know, I guess the process, uh, my thought process at the time was Dusty was, you know, had the greatest ever season, pretty much an individual season that you could have and still barely broke Super Primo status. So how much better could he possibly go? And yep. given, given he, I know he was cheaper, so there, there was a reward there, but I also didn't see Richmond, I guess, needing to play him through the midfield every single game to get wins on the board, um, which is pretty much exactly what happened. So just avoiding those, I guess, massive fails or trying to avoid them. I, I still had my fair share of massive fails that I traded in throughout the season as well as, you know, Angus Brayshaw. Um, I should say I did flick Angus Brayshaw to, to Boke really early on, so that kind of steadied the ship. But those yep. players um, that people where you picked and you're like, should I hold, should I get rid of, and then just you end up holding for the whole season and it doesn't go too well. Um, avoiding those players I think was probably the best thing um, that I was able to predict at the beginning of the year. And given you had the best starting team out of all three of us, Chizo, uh, you had to have had a couple of good predictions in there. What were your what were your best ones like? The predictions that I got right were the players that I picked but really didn't want to, <laughs> which is, okay, is not to say that I made the right decisions, but I definitely picked the players that we should have been worried about. <laughs> so in the preseason, I was picking between Heaney and Dunkley, and I did a team reveal on Patreon. And I'll, I'll quote you... 
the the t- the opening couple of lines I've got under Heaney that I've picked in my starting squad. I said for Heaney, I'm worried. I really am. Franklin underdone. Heaney clearly their second best forward they have. He's in 45% of teams, which presents me with the opportunity to pick someone else to outscore him. And mm-hmm. I've got Dunkley in brackets. And I just feel I knew what I needed to do, but yep. I went with the safety of the foot, like the large percentage of the competition. So if you failed, everyone failed with me. Whereas if I picked Dunkley and he failed, I failed virtually by myself. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't want to pick Heaney. Uh, I mean, I did want to pick Heaney. I ended up, ended up with him. But there was definitely... You were skeptical. Skepticism is something that I should have trusted. And the same thing with Toby Green. I didn't want to pick him, but you know, I started him the year before at 550k. And so it convinced me that at 350k must be an even better pick. I'm getting him for half the price. But both of those... I should have just trusted my initial opinion and my prediction because I knew that they weren't going to be... In my heart of hearts, I was telling myself openly and literally typing it onto the Patreon page, I don't want to pick these players, but I still am. Mm. And if I just listened to that inner narrative, perhaps I would have actually picked Dunkley and another rookie like Connor Rose, and there's top 1,000 without... You know, even with my bad trading during the year, that's just locked yeah. up. If I'd fixed those two things from the beginning, which up until the last day was how I had them, so um, that's the, the 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 one prediction that really sticks out in my mind. That I have a lot of these players that I really don't think are going to score, but I still pick the things. So it just it's yeah. inexplicable, really. Yeah. Well. I think we can all give ourselves a pat on the back for talking or not even considering any other Ruckmans besides Gorn and Grundy. <laughs> Only we'll... in that final week, Chizo. I think uh, the whole preseason we were JB. hot on hot on all of uh, different Ruckmans. Sorry, JB. We all were different Ruckmans. We came. <laughs> we we were we were talking about Naismith in a couple of cheaper options, but. It ended up... Pistol's dad was talking about Naismith. Look, look Naismith next year uh, It's going to be like 120 I've never listened to your dad again. Oh, I don't no. care who he runs into at the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we both started with the, the two heavy hitters, which was, I think, pretty pivotal as well for anyone who didn't start with them. Um, but I want to talk about the players that we chose that have maybe snuck onto the Never Again list or traded in that have snuck onto the Never Again list. So... Me personally, going into this season, I think my never again list was occupied by one person, which was Tom Rockliffe, who might have entered yours this season, <laughs> Pistol. Um, but the newly addition for the season, I think, is Matt Crouch. So um, just watching him every single week seagull the ball and get 40 touches and 80 supercoach points, I don't care how good Crows are or how good Crouch becomes. I, I could never do that to myself again. I just... I don't know. I just, I just can't watch him. And then to make to make matters worse, I traded him out with a luxury trade for the last game of the season, and he scored like 140. So never again, Matt Crouch. What about you, Pistol? So I don't really like to have a never again list because you might That's have how a you situation. End up with Rockliffe, mate. Well, look, that is true. <laughs> but you you end up with a situation where you you say never again to Boak, and then Boak gets forward status, and then. He plays in the midfield and averages 107, and you may have said Please never again. Please put Tom Rockliffe so on your never again list. I don't, I don't like the idea of a never again list. However, oh, I will have probably my first ever player in my never again list, and that is Tom Rockliffe. I, I can't hey. do it. I've, I've, I've owned him in the last probably six years. I, I think I've owned him about nine or ten times because he's just <laughs> had to be in and out that often. <laughs> And I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it next year. I say that every year, but I really, I can't do it next year. Please, please, Rockliffe, I can't do it. <laughs> How close is Brayshaw to becoming uh, the second person on the Never Again list? I mean, Brayshaw, it's more about his role. Like they, they put him in a weird role on the wing. If, if they played him on ball and said, "This is your role to own for the rest of the the year," um, then depending on this price, I'd probably go there again. But um, even. You know, there's players that are better than Brayshaw who I, I'm more mad at, and that, that's someone like Josh Kelly who has kind of ruined my season for, I guess, two years in a row um, <laughs> where I started him last season and missed six weeks, and I traded him in before him getting on a couple of holidays this year. So he he's not in my good books either. And 
Yeah, he's, he's close. He's very close. <laughs> okay. What about you, Cheese? Did you add one to your Never Again list? Well, it's one of those things I'm running out of space on the page, so I've actually had to flip over <laughs> oh, no. to the back of the page to add a few names in. Um, but I'm going to throw in a whole bunch. I'm going to throw in a whole bunch. Uh-oh. And it's not any specific player, but I'll use a couple names um, to explain my narrative. So, you know how every season, Champion Data just tinkers with the algorithm just a little bit. They The equation just... It alters a little bit. There's a little bit more weighting to this and a little bit less than that. The thing that I noticed this year is that there is virtually no place in the top handful of players for accumulators. And so the likes of Matt Crouch and Zach Merritt that I'm trying to stuff into my starting squad because they're 50k underpriced. Or let's just... These, these two specifically. Okay. <laughs> I had predicted that you know, they're going to take the next step and they're going to hit 120s in, in any given year. And I just don't see that happening because it's not that they've reached their peak and they can score well on any given week, but how many times this year as opposed to previous years are we seeing accumulators score 80? I don't think that's something that I've seen in previous years. I think um, when Matt Crouch was averaging 35 touches, he was scoring 125, 130 pretty yeah. regularly and the same with Zach Merritt as we've seen in previous years um, whereas this kind of time around we're seeing a lot of 35 touch games only coming you know even 40 touch games with 80 82 points um, and that's that may be recency bias in there um, because it's something that uh, I've noticed and then started looking for um, so it's not to say that there's been any and like direct analysis on that but I think in coming years, I'm definitely going to be focusing more on the likes of, say, a Nat Pfeiffer, a Pat Cripps, or yep. a Dangerfield. Not that I wouldn't pick them any already, but the fact that they've got more facets to their game that are going to garner more points. Because Supercoach always has had a benefit towards the more contested players. But when you're looking at a Zach Merritt that is so uncontested, there's little room for them to improve year upon year unless they add that contested side to their game and so not to say that they're on never never again lifts at uh, <laughs> lists but there needs to be a significant discount knowing that it's unlikely they're going to be the next 120 averager so i picked matt crouch to start the year this year expecting him to be this significant stepping stone if not a keeper and if it wasn't for injury, he still wasn't playing. He wasn't scoring that well anyway, because it's almost like there's this new ceiling for accumulators, and that's just something that I've paid attention to, whether that's real or not. Um, I think in previous years, I'm going to, you know, in 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 future years, I'm going to definitely be favouring those that have a higher contested possession percentage. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In in their data, makes sense. Um, I tend to agree. I think. I mean, I've I've not been a big fan of Merritt or, um, <laughs> I mean, just Merritt in general. But yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I think like, I mean, Lockie Neal's an accumulator as well. So is Tom Mitchell and and Adam Trelaw. So I think they can be. Yeah, successful. but they, they they've got the second second part to yeah, their game. They I, they are both inside. Mean. I'm I, I don't see Zach Merritt becoming that inside player at any given time. Titch is he's bad. Freak Zach Merritt's just a bad player in general. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I semi-agree. <laughs> okay, well, I'll end on that. I, f- I feel like that's a win. Um, <laughs> I've got. Okay, so, can I add to that though? Um, oh, I think there's a, there might be a reason. There might be a reason, Chizo, that, oh, that no. possibly overlooking. And um, I, I was I was talking to Bryce Mitchell, and he did say that we should reflect on uh, what impacts do we think the six 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 rule change had on Supercoach this year. But I'm gonna I'm gonna expand that question and say. Actually, out of all of the rules that were changed in the preseason, um, which ones do we think had a, I guess, more noticeable impact on our, the Supercoach players' scores and scoring system uh, this year? I'll go first and say that it was the playing on out of the goal square and the extra meterage they get in defence as the biggest rule change to affect Supercoach. So... I think namingly Shannon Hearn when he was averaging 38 bloody disposals in the first half of the season by doing that 10 to 15 times a game 
definitely benefited. Um, I think it slowed down in the second half of the season, or maybe they just stopped playing on as much, or whatever it is, he stopped scoring when I traded him in, so I'm pretty upset about it. <laughs> but essentially, I think it, it definitely put those players in a higher bracket in defense this year. So you, essentially, the first question we'd ask about our defenders before we trade them in is, are they on kickouts? And then, oh yeah, what are their stats as well, by the way? And I, yeah, I'm not sure... I feel like it'll go through to next season, but maybe I'm not sure what the second half of the season statistics are for players that play on because I feel like it dropped off as the season went on. So other players are getting used to the rule or coaches are trying to tacticize against it or players are just tacticize. more freer in... Yeah, I don't think it's a word, Chizu, but <laughs> um, <laughs> Or players are just freer in the first half of the season and just don't really, don't really care about racking up all those free touches. But I feel like that definitely... Definitely was the biggest rule change this year. What about you, Chizo? I'm going to say something that could be completely make no sense, and it could just be pure speculation. Good. But I think this. I think the six 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 rule impacts um, us in a different fashion. In that, I think there's going to be more players that end up with DPP that maybe shouldn't have being forced to be in one of the forward or defensive 50s um, as opposed to uh, being able to stack your back line at a bounce or something like that. We're, we're going to see someone that uh, pl- played mostly on a wing but was forced to start forward because of the 666 and they're going to um, end up with... You know, there might only be one or two players if, uh, that actually this happens to, but I, I kind of... I have this inkling that someone's going to have... DPP that we didn't expect because of the fact that they needed to pick a forward 50 or a back 50 to be in due to the new rules. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's the best segue ever into my next section, but I don't want to cut piss off before he answers his own question. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you for that, uh, JB. I, I, will, I will add to what you said is that uh, yeah, just the floor of players that were on kickouts obviously increased, which had an impact on their scores, which is something to take note throughout the season. Yeah, and that's a great point. Possibly to answer your question as to why uh, maybe Hearn and Lloyd um, dropped off a little bit in scoring later in the year was actually because they lost their kickout duty um, or were sharing it more. Um, you could see Hearn um, was, I guess, giving up the ball a lot more to Jeddah, and he was taking a lot of the kick-ins. And mm-hmm. Lloyd as well was barely taking Dawson. any kick-ins and... I mean, the emergence of uh, Dawson and even um, Callum Mills was was playing more of a, a Jake Lloyd type role um, throughout the back half of the year. So uh, there there were, there were a couple of extra factors, um, and I think that's something entirely different than uh, you know the rule change. Uh, I guess you know points fluctuating for it throughout the season. I think it was very constant. If you look at Daniel Rich, for example, who was just on kickouts the whole season, his scoring was um, pretty consistent, yep. and. I, I was trying to lead Chizu into maybe saying that the 666, uh, because of that more open play, there possibly was maybe some more cheapy possessions rather than some more contested possessions. And the cheapy possessions are probably, well, they are worth less um, in uh, Supercoach. And perhaps that's why Matt Crouch, when he gets his 40 touches this year, uh, we haven't really, you're right, we haven't seen a player that gets 40 touches so often that can't break the Supercoach ton. And I think that the 666 really did have an impact in that regard. Um, and that might be something to, to take note of going forward. And it's a shame we we don't have, uh, I guess, more 40-plus possession players so we could have a larger sample size because Titch missed the whole year. But I'm definitely uh, excited to see how the 666 impacts how many touches Titch can have because uh, in my eyes, Titch is possibly going to be able to get like 50 touches more often because there was a couple, you know, <laughs> there's more space for him and he's a, a masterful accumulator. So uh, there'll, there'll be some interesting notes in that. But as to answer my own question, um, instead of just, I guess, arguing about you, <laughs> about what you both said, was... Uh, a good segue, thanks. Sorry. Um, <laughs> is the... I can't remember. Oh, yeah, the Ruckman. Taking it out of the rucks, um, I, haven't, I haven't looked too in-depth to see if there were Ruckman that got more possessions um, throughout the season, but I felt like when there were mismatches in height or mismatch where a number one Ruck was off the ground and a number two Ruck had to play against number one Ruck, there was a couple more cheapy possessions uh, for Grundy and Gorn, and even Roland Marshall was able to uh, take the ball out of the Ruck and um, get some extra use out of it. I think so you Riley can see- O'Brien was really good at that as well. 
Yes, Riley O'Brien, Marshall, Gorn, Grundy, even Goldie in his back end of the year. All these players, all the Ruckman just scored basically incredibly well. Um, and that may have had, you know, may have been impacted by, by the rule change. Okay, so you've taken away two segues and left me with zero segues in the way you finished <laughs> your sentence as well. So I'm just going to segue myself into the last section of the podcast, which is looking forward to 2020. So I don't know about you guys, but Supercoach is genuinely all I think about. Um, so that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's sad or, or a good thing, but um, essentially... That's no, definitely I've, a good thing. Oh, thank, thank you. Um, I've already got about a dozen players that I want to lock into my team for next season. <laughs> so I, I want to essentially know where your guys' thought processes are, pro- processes are at the moment. Um, what we're thinking about structure early days, I think um, I think it's quite easily to predict that there won't be many forward options next season besides Lockie Whitfield. Um, and I think the defense is going to be decent, but the midfield is going to be stacked next season. So um, they're just my general thoughts straight off the bat. I'd like to know what you're thinking at the moment. We'll start with Pistol. So um, you're the most analytical one. So where's your brain at at the moment with uh, 2020 Supercoach? And do you have any players locked in yet? Well, structure, starting team structure is always highly dependent on what rookies are available in round one. So I generally let the rookies dictate the structure of my side. So uh, there's usually, we're always going to pick at least two premiums on every line. Um, so we'll say that I have to pick at least two. But um, obviously, if there's a bunch of forward rookies that are locked to play from round one, I'll only go in with you know two premium forwards and um, so on and so forth. But the ones that I do have my eye on, um, uh, as you said, Lucky Whitfield in the forward line, I think it's going to be incredibly tough to go past him, especially that we're going to be losing a whole bunch of um, forwards. And uh, probably in the midfield, where I'm looking at is at those players that really can go 120-plus. One, I mean, I did pick the Brayshaws and I did pick the Canelio, and those players weren't really going to go 120 plus I, I was hoping you know 115 but it was realistically at best and I didn't even get there but at best they were going to go 110 to 115 and there's only a few players that can really go 120 plus and I'd be looking at picking kind of as many as I can um, just to start the year I'm going to finally start locking Neil um I say that now, but I say that every single year and never start with him but I'd like to start locking Neil and I think um, even someone like Dunkley, um, who went 120 plus on the back end of the season, being able to pick him in the midfield, people might shy away from selecting him because he was a forward. And usually, when someone loses DPP and becomes a sole midfielder, their ownership percentage is lower than it should be. So, um, for me, someone picking a double up like a, a Dunkley and a McRae is probably going to be a, a bit of a maybe not as unique as I'm thinking, but um, still a unique. Uh, uh, combination as people don't generally like to pick midfielders from the same teams in the starting lineup, JB. Yeah, and I've thought about Bont and Dunkley and McRae so far. Um, what about you, Chizo? How What are your thoughts early on on the potential structure, where we think we'll be struggling, and, and if you've got any players locked in for next season? I certainly don't have any players that are locked in. I think the difference that I'm going to be seeing from my starting structure this year to my starting structure in 2020 is that I certainly, um, how can I say this? I was looking towards growth potential across the entire field. And if you're not locking in a couple of those safer options, um, you only need one or two of these growth players to fail and you've really stunted yourself because you've decided to chase maybe an extra mid-pricer over a rookie. And if it doesn't work out, then you're in a rock between a, a rock and a hard place because you can't upgrade. And it's, you know, it's a bit of a waste to downgrade because a lot of these rookies are already similarly priced. So, um, for example, in the preseason, I was um, not heavily against Rory Laird, but I was definitely electing to pick... Um, potential growth players over the top of him. So I was picking, um, you know, a Jake Lloyd and a Zach Williams um, and a Brody Smith, and they, they all had decent years. But at the same time, Rory Laird was the fourth highest aggregate player because he's just so reliable. You know, he's just going to be between 90 and 100 every single week, and he's going to play every single game, and his role is not really going to change. So. 
I think going forward, I'd like to have, you know, if I'm picking, say, a James Sicily, that is quite literally the definition of a bipolar supercoach player. <laughs> oh, please don't I pick need James to, Sicily. I need to counteract that with someone. Um, you know, I don't want to have two guys that are going to have 50s in the same week. Yep. You know, I, if I'm going to pick a Sicily to start the year next year, I need to have someone that's going to be able to counteract that and give myself some stability within the lines. Um, whereas we go, go back to, um, you know, my starting squad, um, I just didn't have these guys that were consistent week in, week out. I was picking the likes of Oliver and Matt Crouch and Tom Liberatore in the midfield expecting for growth. And then when they didn't grow, what was I able to do with them? Not much. I was forced to hold on to them um, for a longer period of time. So I think it, I think in future I'm going to be looking at um, those really safe, consistent guys, maybe just one or two extra just to kind of prop my team up because that was definitely the difference between a really good year and a fantastic year as what I had uh, what I could have had if I'd picked someone like that. And that, that's the difference between a Heaney and a Dunkley um, and a, a Green and a Connor Rose. Like the, the difference between there is um, is just is so big in reflection to what happened for me this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, just before we jump off for the podcast, I want one player from you guys, but hopefully a speculative player. I'll give mine first to give you guys a second to think here, but... Um, that you could straight up say right now, slap me in the face if I don't start this player next season. And then we're going to listen to this podcast before the next season and we're going to get these players and realise that the data that we saw to end the season this year was enough for us to say that we should be starting this player next year, even if it doesn't look as pretty when we're doing all the JLT, bloody going through that and... Yeah, all the oh maybe they're going to play this position or that position. We've seen the data from the end of the season. It's probably the best time to pick a player that we've noticed that would be silly not to start next season. And I'm going to start us off with a very speculative one. So your answers will probably look good after I've answered this one. And that's Dan Houston from the last six or seven weeks. Wow, that's that speculative. Yeah, very well. I'm, I've gone very <laughs> speculative, but to me it doesn't seem so speculative. So the last six or seven weeks that he spent in the midfield, he, he got an average of around 110. And he's going to be defensive eligible, probably around 500k, which is pretty cheap for someone who has the potential of becoming a really good defensive premium. And in a line where I think Lloyd will be overpriced, Led will be overpriced, these players that have up and down seasons will always hit lower type basement ceiling, uh, basement prices. I think Houston starting at 500k could probably go up and sort of sit at around, you know, 560 and average close to 100 mark for the whole season, if not more. So I'm going to go with Houston. Someone slap me in the face if I don't start Houston next season. What about you, Pistol? <laughs> um, so I know I just spoke about 120 averaging midfielders, um, but someone slapped me in the face. That's a good name of the section. So someone slapped me in the face if uh, Clayton Oliver isn't my cheapest midfielder. In my, I mean, not cheapest midfielder in general, but cheapest premium um, midfielder. I think Uh, Oliver. uh, (laughs) You're going to start three players on the bench (laughs) more expensive than Oliver. (laughs) Oliver had, uh, I guess, a a poor year um, by his standards. The first half of the season, he only averaged just over 100, and the second half of the season, he went uh, closer to that 120 average. And, you know, Demons. Uh, sorry, Demons fans. Demons were not good uh, this season. They were very bad. I don't think um, that's a news flash to them, mate. No. I, look, look, <laughs> come, thinking, I thought pre-season they were going to finish in the top four. Uh, they end up finishing in the bottom four. And I guess uh, the benefit of that is that they're going to get a super easy draw uh, for next season. And I think uh, someone like Clayton Ovala, hopefully he doesn't need to have both shoulder surgeries done to start the season. But I think um, he is going to be someone that benefits greatly from um, an easier draw. And because he's slightly cheaper, I think, than he should be because he um, averaged less than 110. Um, I think I would be very happy paying, you know, 550K for, for Clayton Oliver next season. Great call. And Chizo, the final slap me in the face if I don't start blank. What are you thinking? I think that Pistol took the player I was going to talk about. So I'm, I'm thinking on my feet here. You have to say uh, the, two... the statement as well. Someone slapped me in the face if I don't start blank. Okay. Someone slapped me in the face 
if I don't start Grundy and Gorn again next year because very speculative, Jeezo, very speculative. No comparison. Well, that's the thing. Every year there seems to be this increasing noise that the gap between those two and the rest of the pack is decreasing and they're too much to pay for and we need to find someone other. But they're just so far and above everyone else. I just... I need to stop. T- There's so much of the preseason last year. I, I had a, a a cheap R2 in there, and at last second decided to go with Gorn and Grundy, and then had to restructure literally my entire side. Um, so I think if I lock them in from the beginning, that's going to be important. But uh, okay, a speculative pick. <laughs> I was about to say, if you don't start those, I'll do more than just slap you in the face. Jeez, I think we'll be having an intervention. <laughs> a turkey slap me in the face. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, look, like look Chizo, it's uh, not, it's uh, not, it's not that crazy because if you think of the the players that there could be um, in the ruck line next season, if if Naismith finally gets his body right, and if he oh, is 123 k, <laughs> no, we're talking about putting him on the bench. I, I'm not talking about starting him on the field, um, but now I will because I'm going to say if Darcy Cameron is traded as well to Collingwood, which is a rumor, um, if he's get, you know, if they say yes, you're, you're guaranteed um, to be playing at centre half forward role, which is a position up for grabs in the Collingwood lineup. Uh, if you have him at you know a very cheap price, sub 200k, and you've got um, Naismith at sub or you know, 200k, there's some talk of perhaps. Uh, all right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll know, pick one then. I'm just trying right, to help you I'll out, Chiso. I'm just trying. To help I'll you pick out. my speculative pick to do 110 next year. Um, Hugh McCluggage. He, he's, he's taken a he's taken a step this year, and then next year is going to be the real deal. Okay, okay. I love that. I mean, you've definitely gone from the safest speculative pick to the most speculative speculative <laughs> pick. <laughs> so I do enjoy that. Um, good, okay. So we will listen back to this podcast and if I don't see human luggage in at least one of your drafts, Chizo, I'll be very disappointed in the preseason. So, well, that, It's a good thing that I didn't actually say the whole... Um, slapping <laughs> section with human luggage, so I get off scot free if I don't pick him. But uh, okay. seeing as I was forced into a corner, um, human luggage is my boy. Well, you know what they say: nobody puts Cheezer in a corner. So um, <laughs> I think that essentially wraps up the podcast. Um, Pistol, I think you've got a grand final to train for. So good luck for that. Uh, thank you. Is that untrue? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. Let's let's. What's, uh, thanks for, for having us on the podcast, JB. <laughs> <laughs> what? What is I feel like I'm on the outside of an inside joke between no, you two. I've got nothing. no idea what's going I'm on. I'm confused as well. I feel like I'm on the outside of an inside joke. Yeah, so do I. So that's when you know it wasn't a good joke. <laughs> it wasn't even a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I think JB's just gone on like random tangent and Pistol has no idea what's going on. There's been some communication errors for sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so. well... Thank you very much for joining me, you two. I, I don't even know what oh, to say. Don't, after don't wish list. me for my grand final, mate. Well, you yeah. don't have one. Well, neither does Pistol, but he got it. No, he does have one. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, Chizo, you can do the outro. I'm, I'm out of this. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for the 2019 season that you've been sticking out, you've been listening to the podcast and just maybe laughing at our expense as the year has gone on. Big thanks to all the patrons that have jumped over and given us support during the year and been in uh, our Slack channel and just turned it into the fantastic community that is just thriving within there um if you do want to get in over the summer it is going to be free from october until the beginning of january so a bit of bbl bit of fpl uh, all that kind of stuff all you have to do is sign up in the month of september to get all of that uh for free um and it pretty much wraps up a, a really good year for all of us and jb congratulations on your your top 200 um rank that's just uh, incredible you. from you i really i really thought you were going to make it to the top 100 but as so we I. found there were just so many, like every player that you were looking to bring in or every point of difference that was getting you to that point, literally 99 out of 100 of the top 100 seemed to have them. So once you made all that ground, you just weren't able to keep pushing. It's a, it's a tough wall to break. <laughs> I'll let you know that time that I get there. Uh, and uh, Pistol, fantastic uh, having you on the podcast, mate. Again, it's been a, a great year, and uh, I've loved a lot of the theories that you've come up with this year. I probably didn't understand most of them, but uh, if someone out there got some benefit from it, that was fantastic. So well done to you this year as well. 
Thank you very much uh, for having me. And uh, I guess as, as final words of the season and podcast, I just want the, the community to remember that uh, Tom Hawkins has an easy draw. <laughs> <laughs> if you do want to find us, you can find P- uh, Pistol at Pistol underscore DRSC on Twitter. You can find JB at JB underscore DRSC on Twitter. And it's going to be a fantastic war between the two to see who gets to 1,000 Twitter followers first. Who you got your money on there, there JB? Are you going to do like a bit of a recruitment drive to get you there? I'm betting on you, Cheezo. Mate, I'm like 200 behind. No one wants to I listen believe. to my opinions. <laughs> and if you do want to find me, it's Chizo with a Z underscore D-R-S-C. And uh, we still haven't fixed the main page, have we? So uh, maybe that's <laughs> something for us to do in the next three months in between seasons. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of it this year. And we look forward to seeing you in our off-season content and in the 2020 Supercoach season. <laughs>